Hello and welcome to the next edition of Lights in Europe. Today we combine the interview with Beautiful Art, read by my guest Marianne again. She's an internal coach at the European Commission, but also a writer. She recently published a book of poems, so you will have a chance to listen to some of them throughout our conversation. We discussed how she moved from being a speech therapist to health policymaker and ultimately a coach, and how she's helping bureaucrats develop their professional selves and find fulfillment and happiness in their work. Hope. I am hope, says the billowing, flowing, silken, blue and gold. I am courage in the hands that dare to hold me to the sky. Antidote to streets run red and blood dripping warm upon the stone. When Kiev cried as children died and light was dim and hope was thin, you took a stand and with your hands a whole street long a human progress raised the blue and gold reaching out beyond the fires and all that separates us with symbols we can recognize when human cries democratize awaken unforget the privilege it is ours to hold hope in blue and gold. Thank you very much. Welcome, Mary, to our podcast. Thank you, Lucia. It's really nice to be here with you and thank you for inviting me. This is a beautiful poem, which is one of the beautiful poems that you've written recently and published in your book, which is called Heartfelt. And um, it is very touching and very beautiful, so I'm sure that many people will be able to, to find the book uh, and read more about it. And I find it really beautiful how you've decided to voice your hope and your passion for European Union. Um, and before we go into what is it that you do as, uh, as one of my dear colleagues and friends at the European institutions, I was wondering if you could share a little bit about your story. How did you actually embark on this European journey? Because before you were in a medical career. So how does it happen that somebody who's, who's really serving people and, and healing people uh, decides to go into bureaucracy? <laughs> Thank you, Lucia. Yeah, it's been quite a journey, actually, uh, an intriguing journey. Uh, I began in, in Ireland and began, as you say, a speech-language pathologist, in fact. Um, and how did I end up being a coach in learning and personal and professional development at the European Commission? Well, you know, I worked as a therapist first in Ireland and then in France. And when in France, I had an opportunity to come and work on a project for just a number of months in Brussels. And when I got that invitation, you know, something happened inside of me. Wow, I could be part of this world peace project. So something really clicked inside of me and I, I really wanted to do that. And the reason I could do it is because it was working in the health policy area. So I came and began working in health policy and uh, Then I had uh, the opportunity to work with some journalists who were reporting on health policy 
And one of them said something to me one day after a day together, policymakers and journalists on health issues. And I'm going to tell you what it is because it changed my career. The most cynical journalist in the room stood up and said, Europe promised to do something to make life better for European citizens. And today, for the first time, I believe it's true. And that touched my heart and touched me so deeply that I knew this is it. This is where working with people meets working with Europe. And I decided immediately that I would do my policy making through relationships with stakeholders uh, who are the link with citizens. And I never looked back. I changed my career and I moved to the Learning and Development Unit of the European Commission. And that's what I've been doing since in many forms. What is it that happened that made the journalist make that comment? Thank what you was the that. was it like a legislative <laughs> proposal or something that you've been working on that impacted the patients' rights or what was it exactly in health policy? Yes, it was in fact a conference for health and consumer uh, stakeholders all from all across the union meeting with the health policymakers here in Europe, and I was leading a seminar for journalists to meet policymakers, and we decided to do this using a participatory approach through conversations on health policy between policymakers and uh, stakeholders and with uh, journalists in particular. And it was the way that we did it, humans meeting humans. Uh, it was through the relationship. And I realized in that moment that that journalist spoke, wow, this is how we communicate what we do here. And this is how we show that it matters and how it matters. And journalists were interested to speak about it in a whole different way that they weren't before. Is this other way of hosting meetings reason why you're actually capable of following this career? Because I would think that once you go into medical career, once you are a therapist working with your patients on a day-to-day basis, it must be pretty harsh to move into an administration where it's not really only about people's work, but there's a lot of <laughs> other gray areas of our careers where sometimes yeah, it can feel intimidating because it's more procedural and legal and there's all kinds of aspects which probably you don't have when you're only in the exclusive uh, people's business. So I'm wondering if it was difficult conducting the transition um, from one sector to another or how do you actually explain it to the people because it, I guess it can be difficult to, to conceive for people who are in these kind of careers. Why would you decide to go into administration? Yes, in fact, that's exactly right. It's exactly your question. Why would I make that difference? Why would I make that change? Because as a therapist, you're working directly with people. It's a human to human and the aim to change people's lives for the better. A person's and when you change a patient's life for the better, you change your their family's life for the better and you change their future. And in policy making, while it was fantastically interesting to work in health policy, I was missing the connection with the person. And the day that journalist said that, I realized I could connect the two. I could work with people and develop policy with people and share and communicate it with people and still do the policy. So it was extraordinary. For me, it was like the two ends of a court meeting and making a full circle. So I felt my life purpose came full circle in the moment that I made that change. And so I feel my life is in flow because I, I do this work for Europe and I do it with people, for people, for better futures. 
And you're helping to create the Brave New World, which is another poem that you will all share with us. Yes, that's right, Lucia. Thank you very much. Um, this is a poem. It's called Dreaming of Shangri-La. And it's a poem that was inspired by the book and film Lost Horizon about finding or making a new world where all the best of humanity would exist. And in fact, it's a bit like the European Peace Project. We are trying to create in Europe best lives for European citizens. And that's what humans try to do in the world, is to make life better. So this is a kind of a um, very metaphorical poem for creating that. Dreaming of Shangri-La. Driven by orgies of greed, brutality, wars and devastation, annihilating all art, achievement and precious understanding, evolution even. From that fell place dream I of a brave new world in the valleys of the blue moon, where the meek who inherit, meet kindness and moderation as the rule, peaceful as the shadows of the clouds. What comes to my mind when I'm listening to it is uh, when you're talking about dreaming about the brave new world, that's what you're actually making possible for your friends and colleagues and clients now as you are in the current coaching role and so it makes me wonder what is the wisdom that you're most frequently sharing or how do you facilitate this thinking with your clients because uh, especially i mean not maybe not especially but in particular now at the at the beginning of the year many of us are asking many questions about our next direction for the next year and next decade many people feel inquiring or a bit lost or wondering <laughs> about their true purpose as you said that you feel your true purpose fulfilled uh, in your in your job is there one purpose that we have and how do we best go about finding it hmm uh, that's an interesting question so first i would like to say that the purpose of what I do as a, as a coach, as an internal coach at, at the European Commission in, the, in our organization is to develop people and teams so that they can make their best contribution to the organization and helping the organization achieve results, achieve its goals. That's the whole raison d'être of, of our work. There's no one fix it, but here's what I would say. You ask me, what do I share most? I would say a number of things. You know, homeworks or things we often say to clients are two probably that I give the most. One is self-compassion and the other is when you articulate what you need and make a request, you advance beyond stuckness. And I'll explain a little bit about that in, in maybe what I, what I can say. It's important to, to fulfill our purpose and to make our best contribution to invest in your own development. That's, that's the first thing. Um, get to know yourself well. Be curious about what makes you successful and what do you notice when you're not successful so that you discover what prevents my success. So then you can see where best to invest your energy. So get to understand yourself, understand what are your behavioral preferences? What do you like to do? 
how do I communicate? What's my style? What works? What doesn't work? And there's so much in the field of psychology and neuroscience to discover more about ourselves so that we function in the world in a way that is comfortable and impactful. So I think they're the first things that I would say to people. What was the second one you mentioned? The two things that I mentioned were self-compassion and take a step. Ah, yes. And the step is in two I parts. Ask for what you want. Ask for what you need and articulate your need and make a request. Because people often get stuck and when you find yourself complaining about your situation, oh, it's not working, it's difficult, everything around me is difficult. When you find yourself complaining, get really curious and take the two steps. Okay, what do I need? I need better environment in my work. I need good network of people to work with. I need certain tools. And then go to somebody you think might be able to help you and say, do you think I could have those tools? Do you think we could have more regular connection points? Do you think I could have? And then you unstick yourself from your stuck point. And people often stay in the stuck place because they have a limiting belief that if they ask, the need will not be met. But the moment you take even a millimeter forward, the entire picture changes. So there's no way we can anticipate. So having a belief, a non-limiting belief, that something can change, articulating your need is the first step. And it, it, it's really worth trying as an experiment. Anybody who's listening, I'd really recommend, next time you're stuck somewhere, just try it. And please, I'm happy if you prove me wrong. Really, it's no problem. Try it and see what happens. It takes a lot of courage, though, because obviously we are raised in an environment where, you know, and especially in our intercultural environment, you, where you have to be like extremely tolerant of respecting the boundaries of other cultures, of other professions. We often tend to censor our requests. Mm. And so we were talking about... Uh, the book that I've seen on your shelf, Daring Greatly, by my favorite mm. Brené Brown. And so it's a nice reminder of the, the need to continue tuning in and, and knowing what is like your real request deep down and then finding the courage to just voice it openly because it's deep down anyway. Mm. Oh gosh, Lucia, thank you for asking that question because in fact what you put your finger on is just such an important point. It's courage. And uh, on my wall behind you, and the listeners can't see it, but after a year of coaching in this organization, I added to my principles of coaching, daring. And I did an experiment with 13 clients during my master level training to see what made the difference between the seven clients who did very well and the other few who just seemed to rocket to the moon, who just seemed to take their life in hand, move forward, achieve all sorts of extraordinary things. And I realized it was courage. So in, in coaching, we say there were three things two most people have in common. They want to change something in their life, in their professional life, because we're in a professional environment here. They want to change something. They suspect that they have more resources inside themselves to do so. Everybody does, but you have to suspect and believe that you can develop something. But it's the third criteria. Do you have the courage to try for it? And the people who take their courage in both their hands and try, everything changes. And that was really a significant difference. This is not scientifically proven, so I can only tell you it was my personal experiment. But I know this. I'm 27 years in this organization, so I, I know that this makes a difference. So 
courage is so important and therefore that's why self-compassion is important because you have to be gentle with yourself and say it's okay I can try it so for me it's not success and failure it's success and learning and I think it's Nelson Mandela and I, I could be wrong who spoke that you can try and you can succeed and you can try and maybe it won't work but boy do you learn something and you're just ready for the next thing it's like the student says to the Aikido master how come you never fall down and the Aikido master says oh but I do all the time I'm just so fast getting up and I've had to do it so many times so success and learning that's all there is life is much happier like this that's why joy we have more joy in our lives when we approach life like this and our work I'm wondering what is going to be the poem you're gonna write after our conversations because there's so many interesting concepts coming up <laughs> the next poem you have for us is called questions yes thank you uh, and questions because Well, there's science behind this one. So it's, uh, we know in our work, uh, when we want to develop ourselves to be our most, uh, our best professional selves, and it works for relationships, personal relationships as well, when we can be in the adult ego state, so I'm, this comes from transactional analysis, if anybody's interested to look at that, uh, when you ask questions, you put yourself in an adult ego state and you help the other person with whom you are either working or in a relationship or in a conversation, you invite that adult ego state into that conversation, which means there are less triggers, there are fewer triggers. So it means you can make more progress on whatever issue you're working on. So anybody who's ever had an argument with their husband know exactly what I'm talking about because we get triggered when our children or our family or our sisters or brothers uh, trigger us. The conversation is not, uh, now dear, how would you like to go forward on this? The, it's usually an explosion of emotion. Um, so when we use questions, we can be more neutral and less judging and that helps us to be more skillful in our relationships. And this is very important for professional relationships and, and working together. So here's questions. Imagine what could happen if we were so conscious as to ask better questions, to ask questions, to know that they exist, to see what they look like, to hear what they say, to discover where they take us beneath the surface beyond the benign inert to incubate the seeds of highest potential why not ask the better question fear conditioning cost why not ask the better questions Is that the better question? So much stuff comes to my mind. Yeah, it's very inspiring. <laughs> And we've been discussing before as we were preparing for this conversation, the out-of-the-box questions that we can ask ourselves and how one of the most vulnerable or painful or difficult questions to be asking ourselves is 
And now the, the box question of how you get out of your box <laughs> when many of us are obviously put into boxes or we put ourselves into boxes or we are raised in the cultural, geographical, national context that predefines us. And and what I found very inspiring when you were sharing your journey is that you are very courageous in taking yourself out of the box that you felt like you no longer belonged to as you were growing up in Ireland and you decided to leave that society, leave the country and ultimately leave the career. So talk to us a little bit about how we shape our journeys as we're trying to jump from one box to another. <laughs> Oh gosh, what a question. I realize uh, three words jump up for me as you ask me that question. The first is, they're a mix, you know, it's curiosity, adventure and, and pain. Does there have to be pain? I don't know if there has to be pain. The reason I, I suddenly mentioned those things, because that's what came to mind as I, as I listened to you, you speaking. I'm a curious person. Uh, I love learning. I'm I'm a constant learner. I I, it's, I thrive on learning, so I'm very curious. I also love adventure. I love to discover new things. I love to travel. But I think the key thing for me, I I grew up in a household where there was a huge emphasis on on uh, education and achievement in education, and I know I was always striving to uh, prove myself. And uh, in particular, my, my, my mother uh, very much wanted us to have the opportunity to have a, a good education and uh, to be educated beyond what she herself uh, had the opportunity to do. Um, she was a very smart lady and I know that was painful for her and she wanted us to achieve. So she died when I was 15, so I know that it would have been something special for her to 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 see me do the journey that that I did and then that's so I mentioned that now there was a moment when I felt it took me a long time to feel I was achieving enough so I was constantly uh, studying and achieving studying and achieving and I also felt there was a huge expectation around what I should achieve Uh, when I was uh, growing up in Ireland. So I don't say it was Ireland. I say that was the uh, what I felt growing up. Was it up. your expectation? I think it was my expectation and wanting to... Uh, it's part of how we grow, you know, to, to be loved by by your, your home environment and to want to respond to... Uh, what I know my mother wanted for me. I think there was a lot of that in the beginning as a teenager and as a young professional just out of college. So it was absolutely my own perception. But at the same time, it's what drove me. And at the same time, I had an absolute love for French language and really enjoyed it in school and always wanted to speak it fluently. And when I had the opportunity to go and work in France, I thought, I kill two birds with one stone here. I get away from all that box of expectation and I get to do something I had dreamed of doing and to, to really learn and become fluent in French. And so that's when I, I jumped ship and, and followed my dream, still working as a speech-language pathologist. And uh, so I had three years in Paris when I really lived that dream and had a chance to step back from expectation and try to develop myself as who I was, just be myself and be my best self. And that's what I did in Paris for three years. So, uh, yeah, I look 
back on that period with great fondness. So curiosity, adventure and a little bit of pain in there, Lucia, which drove me to France. And from France, of course, I, I ended up having an opportunity to come to Belgium, which I did. And then, uh, of course, I met that wonderful man who is now my husband and uh, came for four months and stayed for 27 years. <laughs> As many of us. <laughs> I'm wondering about uh, your literature adventure, if it's a pain or adventure or curiosity, yeah, or how yeah. did it happen that you started writing? Oh, uh, there's nothing painful in, in the writing, I have to say. Writing is, is who I am, I realize, which I can only say after the long journey I, ha I have done. Um, Does it always flow? Is there really no pain involved in the creative process for all writers? Hmm. Good question. If I, I can only speak for myself and say while very often painful moments create a, a flow or a rush of emotion which send you to the page immediately and you start writing. So, so it can be a trigger, but it's not it can be a trigger. in the production process of Absolutely it. It's not. not painful. The production is, is... Writing is a joy. Because you write, it's always joyful because I'm being who I am when I write. Both in my when I work, I write a lot in my work. Is and that coming back to your like coaching head now? Is that a sign that if there's a pain in the way we perceive what we're doing, that it's not the best activity for us, that it's not where we're like truly in flow, or is that like oversimplification? There's a lot in what you say, and I think there's a uh, you could dive in there and spend a very long time looking at that. But what I would say is. Pain is, a, is very useful. Pain is useful to, to tell us there's something we need to explore, something we're not... When we're not comfortable, I would say it's a great signal that we want to either reflect on something, look at something, change something. When and it's also where we're working the muscle, so it could be that we're in flow, it's just that we're getting better exactly. in what we're supposed to be doing. Exactly. It's very often a signal of becoming more skillful, for example. I adore coaching, I adore my work, and when I'm uncomfortable, I always use it as a signal. Ah, what's not right here? What do I need? What does the situation need? So it's useful for either changing something dramatically, if it's very painful and continues, then you know it's something that's not right for you at all. But otherwise it can be used as a signal that, ah, I can change my approach here, I can get help, I can be more skillful. And there's great joy in transcending something which is uncomfortable and becoming more skillful. And that's why I say, you know, invest in your development and your, your personal professional development because we can learn so much about what brings us pain and what helps us transcend it. And you become more and more skillful at that and faster also uh, as you become more skillful. Have you always known what is your profession going to be? When you say you are a writer in your heart and you're a therapist or a healer or a helper in some ways, have you always known it? Deep down I knew this, but the real answer is not at all. Because being a writer is something which is like the blueprint of who you are. So it's only since I published my book that I can finally say I'm a writer. So this is very new. So listeners listening to this might think, oh, it sounds like she's got all the pieces together on this. Not at all. I just knew I had to write. I began writing when I was 15 and a very old lady who lived in a, in a caravan near to where I lived was a person who was 
passionate about literature, whose father went nowhere without a poetry book in his pocket. And we struck up this friendship and spoke poetry endlessly. And so I began writing and sharing with her. And it's something I've always done. And it's something I used to, I do naturally to respond to things that happen to me or to respond to others, to share something with the others, sometimes to uh, make something less painful or to celebrate something that's joyful. So it's just something I did. It's only that as a gift to my father, I put all my poems together. And when I had done that and somebody read that, they offered to launch the book. So I was never intending to write a book, produce a book, publish the book. It came, it was a gift of love actually to my father. Beautiful. And so before you share the last piece with us, I'm really looking forward to that one. Tell us where can the listeners find the book if they're interested? Oh, uh, yes, they can. The book is only available on uh, our website uh, in my hometown, actually, but they can find it on mayobooks.ie. How do you spell Mayo Books? So M-A-Y-O. Like mayonnaise. Like mayonnaise. Mayobooks. Yeah. Mayobooks.ie and they can find Heartfelt on, on that site. Yeah. Beautiful. And so here's over to you for the last piece. Thank you, Lucien. It's been such a pleasure sitting with you and having this conversation. And I hope in some way it inspires uh, your listeners. For sure. Thank you so much. So this is the poem Child and it was written for my son. When I have moments soft and sweet to think about what matters most, what rises from the deepest deep, the place where dreams and soul play host. The greatest joy I ever knew, child, the miracle of you. When I have moments soft and sweet, to think about what matters most, what rises from the deepest deep, the place where dreams and soul play host, the greatest joy I ever knew, child, the miracle of you. Thank you for listening. For follow-up, you can find us on all major podcast platforms and all social media platforms, including our Instagram, Lights on Europe. So feel free to go there now and leave us your review, like, feedback, as well as tips on who would you like to hear interviewed next time. Bye!